There we go. You're, you're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad, and I'm delighted to start the new year off with Kieran Maloney and Kieran is based in um, Roscommon. Uh, he's a Lanesborough man originally, and we chatted with Kieran before. I was delighted to be able at the launch of his second book, which was Back to the Future, uh, one evening in the rugby club in Athlone. Uh, but that, and as I say, it was his second book because Kieran's first book was Death on Bully Thursday. But Kieran has now just launched his third book, and it says the future is now. But to put that in some uh, degree of context, uh, the second book, Back to the Future, was reflections on rural life, recession and renewal over 30 years of journalism in Ireland. And Kieran has spent many years with RTE and has been involved in community development in recent years. And uh, so I think, Kieran, thanks for taking the time and a happy new year to you and the family. Good afternoon and uh, nice to be able to talk to you again on Irish Radio Canada. Um, to put the future is now into context. Just give a quick summary of Back to the Future. Yeah, so I suppose there, there are two uh, very different books. Uh, my first book actually was was the story of the shooting of a man called John Carthy in Abilara. It was very factually based, one incident, the repercussions of that, and, and how we learned as a state to deal with a situation where a person was barricaded up with a gun. And uh, there have been a lot positive come out of that tragic story. My second book was more or less reflecting on those 30 years and the way the Midlands was was changing. And all of that second book talked about the evolution of industry in the Midlands and the way Bordenamone was coming to an end. And we all knew it's coming to an end in terms of peat harvesting. And the, the book was, was talking about what the future will look like. And the future will be in things like biomass, burning uh, wood chip instead of peat. And how we, as, a, as an industry, we rely on tourism. As a region, we rely on tourism. So we did all that. And in that book, I kept referring to the future will include this. The future will include this. But there was a premise in there that our power stations in the Midlands, Austin, would stay open for another 10 to 12 years. That was a, that was agreed between Borden Amona and the ESP and the government and the group of unions representing Borden Amona. And then overnight, because of various issues, one was a legal challenge taken against uh, ESP for running the power stations. Uh, one, The other was a political matter, the Greens emerging in government in Ireland. Overnight, we were told, well, sorry, guys, the transition period of 10 to 12 years is not going to happen. It's going to be two years. So, in fact, the future is now. <laughs> and that's where the title for the third book comes from, because I come into in the third book looking at a lot of stuff that's happened over the course of the last two years. And uh, in one or two chapters in particular, focusing on this big, big change, whereby Ireland was no longer in a position to rely on employment from peat and the bogs. And uh, not only is it coming to an end, it's over. We have to change and change dramatically. And a lot of that material is in the book. Change, as we know, is something that um, is we're all prone to resist. It's a natural human thing to resist change. And it's also a natural human thing to avoid the consequences of change. And a lot of change is continuing to happen in Ireland. I'm reading a book at the moment, which I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, Black and Irish. Um, a fascinating chronology of a number of stories of people who are uh, have arrived in Ireland who define themselves as black and Irish. And that's part of the change. So, and in reading it as well, it's taking me to all sorts of places around the country. It's not just Dublin. So being black and Irish is, is ubiquitous at this stage. Is that something that you see impacting the future being now? Yeah, I mean, it, it's an evolving country. And, and you know, we we have seen dramatic changes 
not only in the in industry, as I refer to, but in the population of the country. You know, I live in, in Ballyleague in County Roscommon, as you say, up the road beside me, there are 70 people in Ukraine now living in, in an old nursing home. And they're integrating in the community. They're playing a part here. Their kids are in school, my kids. And it's a very different community. They're involved in tidy towns. I saw them out at, at our Christmas celebrations here, even though they don't have a Christmas celebration like us. And that's, in many respects, the way the community has gone in Ireland. It, it's changed dramatically. Um, new communities are coming in. Some of them not entirely welcome in some places, you know, where there's been very little consultation involved. There's been problems. We've seen that. But the community was left in the dark. There were many, many issues. And I think the government has to learn from that. But fortunately, in my community, as, as I speak, uh, we're, we're at peace and we're, we're, we're welcoming the, these people to our country. But there's huge, there's huge mix. We have seven to eight different foreign and nationals uh, living in the living in the parish as well. It's all very different, Austin, to to the old days of Atlon long, long ago. And when you talk in those terms, and you say the future is now, uh, the future is not a constant. The, the future is something that is constantly changing. So, Kieran, while the title of the book is The Future Is Now, the future is not a constant. So now is now is now, and now now is out of date in five minutes from now. So um how do you perceive that um where you are at relative to um back to the future, the future is now, and the rapid compression of what you saw was a twelve year, ten to twelve year time span being compressed down to two. Where are things going? Yeah, I mean, there's a big problem here for for, for people in our country and in our region, in the Midlands of Ireland, where, you know, Lamas deliberately chose the peat industry as something to keep the socioeconomic condition of the Midlands and reduced emigration. And it worked for 50 or 60 years. That was political policy. It was never particularly economic good sense. It never made a lot of sense to to burn peat or turf. It certainly wasn't economic, but it was the socioeconomic policy. Then we've had the changes. So we've had the changes for legal reasons and for political reasons. So the Green Party have come in now. They're in power in government in, 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 in for the first time. It's not expected that they will have huge numbers in the next government. In fact, many people believe they won't be there at all. So the question people are asking, will the policy change again? And the frustrating part for people here in this country is that I come from a community, Austin, where we had, I knew this was coming. Back in 1999, we went on a fact-finding mission out to Wales to see them burning biomass in, in, in North Wales and bringing it and, and burning it, growing it, growing willow, elephant grass and much more and bringing it down to the power station and turning it into electricity. We knew this was coming. We wanted our government here to do it. So we came back from Wales in 1999. We approached the ESB here in the Midlands and Bordenamona and government and they laughed at us. They had no interest at the time at all in pursuing a policy of biomass instead of peat. We knew it was the way to go in terms of in terms of renewable energy. Uh, it could be done, but the but the uh, ESB and Bordemont and and of course at the time there were no Greens in government. In fact, the Greens were probably not even green in this country at that point in time. So it's very frustrating now for people uh, in in the Midlands to, to, to realise that everybody's caught up all of a sudden. And whereas we were promised a ten year transition, twelve year transition, the Germans in Europe had twenty eight years of just transition when they started closing coal mines. So they knew they were closing for 28 years. And yet in the Midlands, despite the fact we campaigned for it initially, it's hoisted on us then at the last minute because of political expediency 
and now we have to close up everything in two years, and we've done so. But it's been a very, very different year, a very difficult time for everybody here. Lots of people who worked in the bogs of the Midlands over the summer um, lost their jobs. People in part-time employment, farming, they've gone out of farming even, because farming made sense when there was a board and job with us, without board and jobs in the, in the in the summer. It doesn't make sense. So it's it's a huge rebuild. Now, I'm glad to say it has started, Austin. There's a lot of good work doing in the area of tourism. Tourism is probably a significant part of our future, but it's not at all. There's an awful lot of other work to be done in terms of infrastructure, new industry, new ideas. And it's very frustrating for somebody like myself, particularly, and I say this in the book several, several times, particularly when you you think about that 25 years ago, our community tried to go green. We wanted to embrace decarbonization in 1999. No government was listening to us. The ESB was laughing at us. ESB said to us it would take a million trees a year to power our, our power station. And we said, get on with it. Start planting them. Start planting them. But they didn't do it. And then they're the first people who shut the power station two years ago and tell us that it's it's decarbonization they're in favor of. So it's been unfair, put it mildly. People are angry about it. And uh, people like myself are saying to government and to our politicians, you really have to redouble your efforts now to dig us out of this hole because we are in a difficult situation. People have lost jobs. People are leaving. People are going emigrating again. And it's very, very difficult at the moment. Now, Karen, while you do say tourism represents an opportunity, to some degree, nothing like to what you would have had in terms of power production and farming. Uh, and again, we all know that tourism, while it is seasonal and everything else is seasonal as well, but it, it is seasonal. So the ability to have a 12 month career in tourism is limited to a few as distinct to many. Absolutely. And, and let's crystallize that in terms of figures and facts. Austin. I, my brother worked, my late brother Pat worked on board Nimona. Uh, he was in charge of, uh, of, of quality control on Pete at the height of the season. He probably had about 400 people working under him in, in that division. Uh, for, for more, for, for that high part of the season, they brought home between 1400 pounds and 1800 pounds a week, uh, from peat harvesting. That went on for the, the best part of three to four months. They had a fixed rate for the rest of the, the year, which around about seven, 800 pounds. Those wages will not be realized from tourism in the short term in the Midlands. Not a hope in hell, uh, but we have to start and we have to start developing the infrastructure. That's the problem. That's why we could have done with the 10 to 12 year lead in. We have to start encouraging and Grant is going to play a part in this. We're going to see new facilities. I'm glad it's already happening. There's a couple of fantastic new services, for instance, on the River Shannon, a new boat coming, a Canamarang service starting up at Shannon Bridge now in the new, in the new, in this new year. Uh, 50, 60 people. It's an eco-friendly boat. It runs on eco-fuels. It's going to be the first passenger boat service out of Shannon Bridge, uh, going the other way, going back up towards that lawn. And that's the future for, for many people in those areas, but they won't be huge, highly paid jobs, not in the short term anyway. To put it back in context, when you talk about the wage that was being paid to 1400 or whatever a week, how much was a house then? How much was a car? Because nothing means anything if you don't relate it to some yardstick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a new house could be built in those days, Austin, for the region of seven or eight thousand pounds. So you uh, literally could in two months, you could earn enough to, to. You could, you could, you could. And, yeah. you know, my mother and father had, had a county council grant to build theirs of three thousand pounds. Right. And there, or my brother could have brought in that money to repay the entire grant in a year easily. And, 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 and often did. And, and people, no, it's the same place. The other factor is the, is the summer employment. The board morning used to give a lot of summer employment to people. They'd go out there. 
after school, they spend the summer on the board, picking stones, cutting bushes, opening the railway lines, keeping them clear. And then they go back to college in September with a, a few bob in their pocket. They'd be able to pay for their fees in the autumn. They'd be able to pay for their food and their digs. But you know what? That's gone too. Uh, because now they've got to emigrate. They've got to go to, to, to their J1s or off to Canada or, or to, to elsewhere to, to try and make a living. They're not coming home with the same savings they had. It's not possible anymore to do the same as they were in the past. And that's also a repercussion, which is, which is difficult to cope for and is definitely affecting some families in terms of sending their kids to third level education. So, bearing that in mind, and, you know, one of the things I remember uh, noticing or finding was that, uh, you know, this part of this happened and would have been going through the pandemic, and that was bad enough for everybody. But to have something like this piled on on a layer on top of it, uh, there was something I came across which said after various pandemics, there was always um, a labour shortage. Uh, be it the Spanish flu or there was one back in the Black Plague and there was labour shortage and there's and it's a global issue. There's a labour shortage now. And yet, ironically, with that labour shortage, when you say people are looking for opportunity, it's crazy. On one hand, people are looking for the opportunity. On the other hand, there's a labour shortage and yet the two don't meet. Yeah, but I think principally the labour shortage is based on our cities. And that's one of the problems with the, the lack of, of proper planning across the country. Uh, well, the Germans have had the opportunity to rebuild communities with coal mines. They've turned to other, and they've had the opportunity to build up those facilities over 20 years. There's not a particular labour shortage in Tullamore or Offaly or, or, or at Lone or Longford. The labour shortage is on the east coast of the country where we're overpopulated, where we have huge rental uh, payments, where we have huge mortgage prices, mortgages being taken out. And, and a lack of spatial planning in the region. That's, that's uh, the frustrating part. Um, due to, due to poor spatial planning over the course of the last 20 years, we've now got all of this dominance of the, of the East Coast and Dublin still dominating. And we do not have decentralization to any sort of scale, meaningful scale in this country. And that's why we have a clamor for labor and a clamor for, um, in nurses and hospital staff in various areas, highly populated areas. Not so in the rural areas because there are no jobs in the rural areas or no meaningful, well-paid jobs in the rural areas for young people anymore. So bringing that now to where you're going into tourism and um, taking on a position with Longford in order to encourage the creation of, well, to entice people, first of all, to come and visit. And as a result of coming and visit, that it's going to create what would be meaningful, sustainable jobs. Um, where do you see yourself going in that direction or how do you see yourself going with that? I think and you know this is one of the knock-on effects from what's happening to the bogs as well and the Midlands landscape. We have to build on our natural resources. We have to play to our strengths. I think we've always known that. We know it now more than ever because they are the, they can take away our, our jobs in Port Namona but they can't take away our lakes, our woods, our bogland, our peatland, our walks, our trails, our mountains, our hills. And these are clearly, uh, in terms of the new tourism coming down the line, this is where the focus is going to lie. I mean, you know, the River Shannon, the fantastic facility has been, and we've always said it never really reached its full potential in the Midlands. You know, uh, Clamac Noise is probably the exception to the rule uh, because it has over 150,000 visitors a year. But there's not too many more visitor attractions in Westmead, Longford, down the Shannon, Tipperary, all the way to Limerick that bring 150,000 people a year, very few. Uh, Galway and the West Coast would have some of these people. So the focus is very much for people like me on playing to your strengths. So you're going to see an awful lot. And the same would be in my colleague in Westmead, Amy O'Connor, taking over the Westmead uh, job that I'm doing. And she'd be focusing again, rivers, walkways, canals. Uh, we're going to see treks, trails, 
huge focus. Now we're going to play to our strengths, the, 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 the landscape that's, that is beautiful, the landscape which is now even more popular after COVID. One of the good things that came out of COVID, Austin, is that people do an awful lot more walking than they used to, an awful lot more trekking than they used to. They had to do it during COVID when they were confined to 10 or 15 kilometers or whatever it was. Now they're, they haven't forgot that. So that's one of the big things. And the other thing for me in County Longford in particular is I have to look back at some of the tremendous, um, I suppose you call them ecclesiastical achievements over the course of the last five years. You may remember in my time in RTE, I did a fly on the wall documentary called The Longford Phoenix, which was focusing on the fire at St. Mel's Cathedral. Mm-hmm. Back in 2010, 2012 and the, and the dramatic damage caused and the way that cathedral was built, rebuilt at a cost of about 30 million euro. Now it's funny the way things emerge from, from, from those dark days. When St. Mel's reopened in 2014, 2015, uh, over the following 12 months, 100,000 people visited the cathedral. Um, such was the nature of the renovation work that was done, the quality of the work, the beauty of the craftsmanship and the stone glass, the stained glass and everything else. Um, the people, the public came. And, you know, I suppose now when I come into the job, I know people are saying to me, Karen, we'd like to see Semel's not only attract more people around the country, we'd like to see perhaps the Semel's museum restored in the crypt under the cathedral. We'd like to hear perhaps of, of, uh, the story of the fire being told on site in a visitor center, uh, for people who've never been there before. So that's a challenge, uh, not just for me, but for the authorities involved in Semel's. And the local community and Longford County Council to see if we can, if we can motivate people to look at those, uh, which features, which in the past would have been considered day to day, normal week to week events. Mass at the Cathedral in Longford has been going on for an awful long time, back to our mm. famine days. But the fact is 100,000 people came from all over Ireland to see the craftsmanship of the cathedral the year after it reopened. And some of us in the tourism perspective feel it's a great pity that they didn't stay longer perhaps didn't have a cup of coffee in the crypt, learn about how the fire uh, actually was was uh, dealt with, and learn about the renovation, and perhaps put a few bob into the economy of Longford when they were there, instead mm-hmm. of getting back into their car and driving back to some end of, other end of the country after their visit to the cathedral. I know I, I keep two bikes in Ireland, so any time we go, we, we cycle. And one of the things we always try and do, and I will confess Longford is not one of the great ones we have cycled, is we look for the cycle trails, and we've cycled the um, Athlone Moat and uh, a lot of the greenways and uh, when I was there during the um, COVID I cycled all around the Cumbria Mountains. But one of the things I always look for, where where are can I do cycle routes? And I think there's a huge tourism opportunity for um, not just elderly people on bicycles but anyone on bicycles um, and creating a safe space for cyclists I think is something that uh, has tremendous potential. Do you see yourself going that direction? Oh, absolutely, without doubt. I mean, Falch Ireland have done an awful lot of good work already with the government in terms of routes. Uh, you know, famously, the Dublin to Galway that you mentioned is has completed more than 60, 70%. We had the historic opening of the new bridge across the River Shannon for those mm-hmm. pedestrians and cyclists in the last couple of months. Beautiful piece of work. I was on the bridge myself today for the first time and, and uh, just stunned by the quality of the craftsmanship that went on there. So we're going to see that that uh, cycle route continuing to go away. A few issues with land ownership at the moment, but they'll be got around. The route will go around them in the in the end anyway. And uh, I also am very very uh, very very excited about plans to put in a new one, which will link up the Royal Canal um, uh, to to Athlone uh, as well. And that that's the one that's going to come in from the Royal Canal over in County Longford near Killeshee, uh, come in along some old Bordenamola Bordenamola railway lines, 
and then come along from Tarman Barry up to Bally League and Lanes, my own hometown, and then head up on the Roscommon side of the bank of the uh, banks of the river all to Atlone via Kiltevan, Hudson Bay, and into and into Atlone Town and link up with that greenway then, which will bring people to the west. So that type of work has to be done. All of that work is going ahead. Tremendous work has been done, particularly by Falch Ireland on, in that already, and the local authorities and, and government. And I think we've got to be patient. Next time you come, Austin, I predict you'll be able to go go, go across uh, to Killashee and Longford and round the Royal Canal, right along the Shannon routes, and do a circle back into Atlone. It should be a really scenic route. You don't have a lot of time, Kieran, because I'll be there in May. <laughs> well, we could do it in May as well, Austin. We could <laughs> certainly, the route wouldn't be brilliant, but we could do it. Okay. <laughs> we can look at it. But, uh, yeah, because again, that is, to me, I have found, and, and it's one of the great things about Ireland, all parts of Ireland, is that the scenery is stunning. The, the, uh, environment cycle is fabulous. Um, we managed to get up to Cavan last year. It was our first time up there. And that's why I say places like Longford, places I haven't been exploring. Uh, and it's always wonderful when you mention St. Mel's. I know in, in all of Ireland, there's so much archaeological history. Absolutely. If, if you... Absolutely. And, and I mentioned, you know, uh, to my knowledge earlier, uh, one terrific new feature that's, uh, that happened this summer was I was a part of a group who went on the first historical guided tour of Inchclare on the island of the Quaker Island on Loch Ree. Um, the, 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 where the ruins of seven churches are to be found. The, the, the home of, 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 of St. Kieran and St. Dermot, um, in, in the, in, in, in the past as well. And that's a, a trip which has been developed by, by a group of my own hometown, the Loch Ree Access for All group, who put a wheelchair boat on the River Shannon last year. have now branched out a bit. They're bringing people wheelchairs included out onto Lockery, out onto the Shannon, teaming up with the Farrell family and Inchclare on and bringing people onto a remarkable journey there. And, and it, even better, the old story is quite astonishing. The fifth and sixth century stones and monastery and, and, and the Vikings, all that rolls in. But then the modern story of that island where we saw a daring robbery in the late 1980s and several artifacts, including St. Dermot's cross being not only stolen from the island in the middle of Lockery in broad daylight, but brought by a, a, an Australian sailor by boat to the United States and subsequently sold to Boston College, Massachusetts. An extraordinary story, which most people don't know about. Uh, and they're going to hear more about in the future. Things like that are, are, are all, are to be sold. But the islands of Lockery have loads of stories, particularly the ones in the, in the Atlone end of the, of the lake. Tremendous stories, great stories. And it's about time we started to tell them and we will now. So while you've, Back to the future and the future is now. Is the typewriter banging away on the next one? Yeah, well, uh, it's gas. I mean, I've always loved writing, Austin. I, 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 even when I was on TV and radio with RTE, I loved the depth that writing gives you. Gives you. I was never happy with 90 seconds. Never was, never would be happy. They tell you now, if you turn on your TV on Canada tonight or New York, NBC or ABC, that the, the concentration level of the viewers is, is about 80 seconds, not even 90 seconds anymore. And they're gone if you, if you don't. Whereas I always loved sitting down with my typewriter or my laptop computer, writing up maybe a thousand, two thousand words, getting into the depth of a subject, telling the story in its foot and teasing out the hard parts. And I, I'm obviously doing something right because three books down and I'm glad to say, uh, after the third book was published, uh, a good lady uh, called Kira Leahy from the Irish Farmer Journal contacted me and asked me if I'd write a weekly column for their new Irish country living magazine, which is having a bit of a relaunch. Uh, starting tomorrow, actually here in, in, in Ireland. Uh, so people will have to put up me on a, on a weekly basis, I'm afraid, 
my 800 words that will be appearing in the Farmers Journal Irish Country Living magazine. And I'm looking forward to that too, because I've always loved writing about my personal experiences. When something happens to me, I always find it's, it's, it's telling that story is natural. Uh, it's sometimes important that we tell those stories and tell them there and then and tease out the issues with them. And I'm going to start that in the Irish Farmers Journal this week as well. So you're being syndicated or getting there? <laughs> more, more or less. But yeah. I say the writing will continue. Not sure I'll do another book for a while because it is right. a drain on the energy. Uh, but at the same time, I will, I certainly will do another one down the line. When you talk in those terms, are you disciplined? So when you started uh, to go for the future is now, do you approach that disciplined or was it something that over a, an extended period of time as things unfolded, you got those down? In my case, some, I know some people are great writers and have discipline, Austin, that they get up at seven o'clock in the morning every morning and write a chapter and do a chapter and everything else. In my case, the success of my writing is down to one issue and one issue only, my editor. I'm very lucky to have a very disciplined editor. Uh, Anya Keenan has edited my last two books and has laid out a strict regime for me in terms of dealing with my topics. And that's where I'm schooled, if you know what I mean. I get my topics, I get uh, I get my, my chapter back to me very quickly, uh, telling me where exactly I need to work on so I can focus on 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 the blanks, the missing parts, and we can change the story around as we often do. We can change the focus of a story and we can we can tell it again. So a lot of my writing is down to good editing. And uh, Anya Keenan, I'm very, very lucky, very lucky to have her with me. She's been an accomplished author and herself on, on, on corporate law in Ireland. And she she knows a lot about discipline and writing. And uh, I'm very, very pleased to, to have somebody of her caliber with me. Otherwise, I can assure you, Austin, my discipline would never have got me across the line. <laughs> so in addition, then, I noticed your book has been selling fantastically well you're gone to, you're gone to reprint i think uh, and you've got to, to had to deliver additional supplies to a number of locations must be thrilled with that yeah i mean particularly because of the way it's evolved i mean I, my first book i published with blackwater press uh back uh way way back in the early 2000s um and and was a good success but i found uh, that in a lot of cases you know, it was going around the country quite a lot, but at the end of the day, it's largest selling territory was the Midlands. So mm-hmm. this, this time around, I self-published and did the same the last time. Much more fulfilling because I think I know where my market is. I can identify them. I can circulate the book myself. I'm semi-retired at this stage and I'm able to do that. And I get the feedback when I go around with the books, which I love doing. I get the feedback and I often get a, a bit of a hint for the next book right. or the next chapter or the next story. So I enjoy that part. And now, as long as I can continue to do that, I will continue to do that. Now, what you're saying is self-published and it's available in the Midlands, but it's also available online. It is. It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. I haven't looked at the link, to be honest about it, in recent weeks, but I know there's been a few sales going through. Well, our focus is, was here was on Christmas because of the Christmas market. Yep. You only sell books in Ireland, as you well know, in the Christmas market. That's about it in terms of any great numbers. And my focus is on that. But my good friend, Don McAteer, has set up the Amazon online process for me. And, and by doing a search there, people can find it or get in touch with me. Indeed. And you, they'll find you on Facebook as well, and they can connect with you there if they'd like to get a copy. And I know... And I think more so on Twitter. I'm only, I, I do a lot of Facebook work, but I'm a bigger fan of Twitter than anything. I've, I, when Instagram is common, people love it. I'm afraid I, I enjoy Twitter. I like the fact you can target your audience the way you can with tags in, in Twitter. And I like the fact that, you know, official Ireland and official world the president, the Taoiseach, you know, the people in, in authority respond most of the time to Twitter. They, they, they don't ignore it. Whereas I find in other, other, other forums and other fora, uh, people are not taken seriously. So, so you can certainly find me on, at, at Kira Maluli at Twitter. 
Kieran, it's been a real pleasure reconnecting with you. Thanks a million for taking the time. Austin, look forward to, thank you very much, and look forward to that cycle uh, from Athlone all the way over to the Royal Canal at Kilishi and round through the bogs of Lanesburg and Roscommon and back by Kiltevan up to Athlone in the heat of May uh, this coming year. How many kilometres are we talking about here? <laughs> Probably about 60. Okay, okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll rise to it. Kieran, thanks, mate. Thank you, Austin.